judges are people too. And their upbringing may offer internal biases that they hopefully learn about and compensate for. Yet we have seen sexist and racist rulings by the court. Times, for example, when the court has decided to enforce traditional gender norms or to uphold white male supremacy. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. And I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third. Well, Cindy, since the United States Supreme Court is in the news so much lately, we thought we should do an episode about it. We felt like we should know more about its history, its challenges, and its powers. So let's get started. Well, I think we all do know that the U.S. Supreme Court is the highest level of the federal court system. So let's talk about some things maybe we don't all know or haven't paid a lot of attention to. That's the plan. <laughs> let's begin with the Constitution. It did not define exact powers of the Supreme Court or even specify qualifications for justices. There's no requirement as to their age, education, profession, or even native-born citizenship. Instead, it gave Congress the power to set up the federal judiciary, the system responsible for interpreting and enforcing federal laws, including determining the number of justices on the Supreme Court. So Congress has the power to set up the Supreme Court and also to make changes to it. Yeah, so that was one of the first things Congress ever did. The Judiciary Act of 1789 was the first bill introduced into the United States Senate and it established the role and structure of the federal court system. It created the position of attorney general and the Supreme Court. Through this act, the country was divided into 13 judicial districts organized into three circuits. Cases from circuit courts can be appealed to the Supreme Court, which has the final say. Congress also initially set the number of Supreme Court justices at six one chief justice and five associates. Hmm, so there used to be six justices, not nine like we have today. Right. Over the years, Congress has passed various acts to change the number from a low of five up to 10. The number of justices changed six times before coming up with the total of nine we go by now. The current Supreme Court has one chief justice and eight associate justices. So it's not so weird to change the number. Exactly. The Honorable John G. Roberts Jr. is the 17th Chief Justice, and there have been 103 Associate Justices in the court's history. Members of the Supreme Court are appointed by the President, subject to the approval of the Senate. The Chief Justice is also appointed by the President and confirmed by the Senate. Five of the 17 Chief Justices have served on the court as associate justices first before they were appointed as chief justice. But that's not a prerequisite. You don't have to work your way up to chief justice. And it wasn't always a lifetime appointment. The first chief justice, John Jay, resigned from the court after about six years to become governor of New York. And he wouldn't go back to accept reappointment 
when offered it five years later. I guess he didn't really like the job. (laughs) On the other end of the spectrum, several justices have served over 30 years. Supposedly to ensure the independence of the judges and judiciary to protect them from political pressure, the constitution made it so judges' salaries can't decrease and they get to serve during what's called good behavior, which basically means they can serve as long as they want to as long as they don't do something that gets them impeached. They can't be fired just for making unpopular decisions. That's a pity. Which is important if they're supposed to be impartial. The only justice to be impeached was Associate Justice Samuel Chase over 200 years ago. The House of Representatives passed articles of impeachment against him for refusing to dismiss biased jurors and limiting defense witnesses in two politically sensitive cases. But he here's the punchline, he was acquitted by the Senate. I guess they weren't all so impartial even 200 years ago. I think looking at the history does inform us about that. For all of its changes through history though, the Supreme Court has kept a lot of traditions from its very first meeting. As in all American courts, which I did not know this, The nine justices sit by seniority on the bench. The chief justice sits in the middle. The senior associate justice sits to their right, the second senior to their left, and then they alternate right and left like that by seniority. Wow. And they, of course, wear the traditional black robes of court. Of course, over the years, some added a little color in the facing. And of course, we all know about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's many lace collars. The first Chief Justice Jay's robes of black and salmon are now in the Smithsonian. Another thing they do is they still put white quill pens on the council tables every day that the court sits. And before they sit, each justice shakes hands with each of the others. It's called the judicial handshake, and it reminds me of two sports teams shaking hands before the game. But in this case, each justice is independent. They're their own little team. (laughs) White quill pens. That is a weird (laughs) tradition. Okay. The court receives approximately 7,000 to 8,000 petitions to review cases each term, but grants and hears oral argument in only about 1% of them or in about 80 cases. Diversity on the court is interesting because initially it meant geographic diversity to represent all geographic regions of the country. That's what was important at the time, as opposed to ethnic, religious, or gender diversity. In terms of how we define diversity today, the court didn't even begin this journey until the 20th century. We've now had justices who were or are Jewish, African-American, female, Italian-American, and Latinx. Currently, there is one African-American, Justice Thomas, and one Latinx justice, Justice Sotomayor, on the Supreme Court. Seven out of nine of the justices are white, one is black, and one is Latinx, meaning less than one third are people of color. Thurgood Marshall, the first African-American justice, was appointed to the Supreme Court 178 years after it was established. And the second black justice, Clarence Thomas, who is still on the court, succeeded Marshall after he retired. It wasn't until 2009 when Sonia Sotomayor became the first person of Latin descent appointed. 
Some say that former Justice Benjamin Cardozo should be considered the first. But either way, of the 115 justices who have served on the Supreme Court, only these three or four have been people of color, less than 4% in either case, if you like statistics. I do like statistics because sometimes they make things so clear. Less than 4% is a really small number. Many ethnic groups have never been represented on the court. No Asian, Native American, or Pacific Islander, for example. Of course, it's been mostly white. Still is, white and male. Judges have been appointed between the ages of 32 to 65 in their beginning appointment and have served till as old as 91. The current average age of the court is 57 and a half years old. The first woman, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, served on the Supreme Court from 1981 until 2006. She stepped down after her husband was diagnosed with dementia so that she could care for him. There have been four other women since then. So the court has been over 95% white men, and most have been various denominations of Protestant Christians. Exactly. For the first 180 years, justices were almost always white male Protestants, hardly representing the country's makeup, even then and especially now. Over time, the appointments became somewhat more diverse, if you can call it that, though the court still does not reflect our national population. Nope. As of 2010, the court had no Protestants for the first time in its history. Of the justices now sitting on the Supreme Court, there are three Jews and six Catholics. Neil Gorsuch was raised Catholic, but now attends and is a member of the Episcopal Church. So now the court trends Catholic with some Jewish mixed in and male with a few females. There are currently three women and six men. Having a so-called Catholic court has led to some accusations about the court becoming a Catholic boys club, particularly since the Catholics chosen tend to be politically conservative. Right. And one of the concerns is that people who are Catholic can have strong religious beliefs, like about abortion, for instance. You have to wonder if they can really be impartial, if they believe something is a sin, even when, and this is the truth, most other people don't. Can people really be impartial? Well, that's an interesting question. For example, the first Jewish nominee, Louis Brandeis, was appointed a little over 100 years ago after an apparently very difficult hearing process. He experienced anti-Semitism for his appointment in the public arena, which is to be expected, but also from at least one other justice on the court. Fellow justice and blatant anti-Semite James McReynolds refused to speak to Brandeis for three years after his appointment and would leave the room whenever he spoke in a meeting. McReynolds refused to shake his hand during the judicial handshake prior to each conference. And when Brandeis retired from the court, McReynolds did not sign the customary letter the court writes to their colleagues when they retire. That is really offensive. So McReynolds certainly does not sound like an impartial judge. He sounds like a terrible anti-Semitic judge who shouldn't have been on the court. I feel like you just don't expect that from a Supreme Court justice, or you shouldn't have to anyway. Hmm. Then the 1932 appointment of Benjamin Cardozo raised controversy as well, because then there were two Jewish justices on the court at the same time. But his qualifications were impeccable, so he was confirmed unanimously by the Senate. Yeah. 
there are currently two Jewish justices on the court. No admitted atheist has ever been appointed to the court. Although some judges have not engaged in religious activity or were affiliated with a denomination. It's very hard to believe that nobody experienced sexism or racism of any sort on the court, but I haven't seen that documented. The thing is, the reason we're going through these stats and information is to show that judges are people too, and their upbringing may offer internal biases that they hopefully learn about and compensate for, yet we have seen sexist and racist rulings by the court Times, for example, when the court has decided to enforce traditional gender norms or to uphold white male supremacy. Exactly, Cindy. The case of Plessy versus Ferguson upheld racial segregation under the rationale of separate but equal, where we all know that separate was never equal. This ruling reinforced segregation and the structural racism that was already in place and allowed Jim Crow segregation laws to stand in Southern states. The Supreme Court has also ruled to reinforce Puerto Rico's second class status based on racist assumptions, according to the ACLU. And there've been many other questionable rulings. When an enslaved person petitioned the United States Supreme Court for freedom, the court ruled against him, also ruling that the Bill of Rights didn't apply to black people. And in using the argument of separate but equal, the court ruled that if there was no black school available, black students would just have to do without an education. We've also seen some very unfortunate rulings recently, such as allowing states to force people to the polls in person during a pandemic. And there are two current justices credibly accused of sexual assault. It looks really bad. And that fact has really made me think less highly of some of the justices and the Supreme Court as a whole. While Supreme Court appointments are expected to be high level judges, the highest level judges who will uphold the duties of the job with balance and integrity, the gender, race, educational background or religious views and built-in biases of the justices is important. It's not necessarily that the justices rule to help their party or the president who nominated them, though sometimes they do, but they're nominated because they already hold certain values that align with that president and party. One of the reasons for the appointment of Catholic justices, for example, isn't necessarily because they have a focused goal to overturn Roe v. Wade or to strip women of reproductive justice, but their very conservative Catholic values strongly influence their belief in what is right about that. Yeah, but the presidents who appointed them may want them to overturn Roe v. Wade, and they may believe it's more possible that it will happen with Catholic judges making the decision. Exactly. We also have to look at the intersectionality at play among the justices as well. They are older, white Catholic men. They are Jewish, Latinx, or Catholic women, etc. How they vote may come from their values that anyone or any mixture of those identities has left them with. The opinions of the two African-American justices have reflected radically different judicial philosophies. Catholic justices vote similarly on some issues, though Sonia Sotomayor stands out differently as a woman from Puerto Rico and New York. One analysis of 313 Supreme Court cases by Shane Gleason, a political scientist from Idaho State University, found that male justices 
reward presenting attorneys based on traditional gender norms. They like to see men who offer unemotional, coolly presented arguments and women who argue in an emotionally compelling way. That's just an example of a bias. Yes, and add this to the recent evidence that female lawyers arguing before the Supreme Court are interrupted more frequently than their male colleagues. It's hard to imagine that the makeup or background of the court justices has nothing to do with not only how they behave in court, but many of the rulings that have come down. It's hard to imagine they're unbiased. Because they're not. (laughs) For example, making preventative healthcare and birth control inaccessible by allowing the refusal of birth control coverage for employees if the employer is personally, morally, or religiously opposed to birth control, that is not unbiased. It is clearly sexist. Another couple of examples causing concern about the court are, for one, that the law school from which each of the currently sitting justices graduated are Yale, Harvard, and one, Coney Barrett from Notre Dame. That speaks, among other things, to access and socioeconomic status on the court. About three-fifths of those named to the Supreme Court have personally known the president who nominated them. How could they be unbiased? Speaking of socioeconomic status, beginning when the Supreme Court was first established, the justices have been required, along with all federal officials, to file annual disclosures of their income and assets. And that is how we know that many of them have been and are millionaires with substantial stock holdings. This is a big enough deal to have affected the business of the court. Because of their stock holdings, there have been cases from which justices have had to recuse themselves, and sometimes those recusals have a substantial impact on the outcome of the case. Which argues that maybe we need more than nine justices. Mm. It seems like there are a lot of issues which the justices cannot be neutral and are not neutral not because they're purposely trying to throw the outcomes or anything, but because their intrinsic values come from different places, from a white male perspective, for example. In matters between rich and poor, they are almost always from wealthy upper-class families. Of the current justices, only Justices Thomas and Sotomayor did not come from such wealthy backgrounds. Of course, they're supposed to rule based on the constitution and standing law not on their personal values, though some of these values do offer what they might believe to be a clear sense of what's right and wrong, especially when the constitution or precedent is unclear or contradictory. Well, that's exactly right. Their job is to interpret the constitution and they're humans. The main reason that most of us have trusted the Supreme Court up until now is that we've been comfortable in our white privilege with the decisions of the court. Maybe not all of them all of the time, but plenty of them. Absolutely. So a current problematic issue is that greater life expectancy and changes in expectations have led to Supreme Court justices often having very long terms of service. Maybe we need to think about a mandatory retirement age and predetermined terms of service. I mean, why does anyone have to work past age 90? Seriously. I like the idea of term limits for the Supreme Court. There should be. Congress could also, as I mentioned before, consider raising the number of justices. It's happened in the past. Our population has grown and it's more diverse than ever. And 
it might better represent that diverse population if it expands? Yes, I think the very questionable down and dirty way we've seen justices nominated, rejected or appointed most recently continues to raise questions about the court in our time. Yeah, that's why we were talking about it today. That's the Supreme Court today. Yeah. Thanks for listening today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Until next time, take care.